Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So today I just broke into tears like two different times. I think that it's all starting to really get to me. Just like this intensity of what's going on and how long this is going to be like this for. And my kids are on homeschool and it's not ideal for them at all. And they're missing their friends and we haven't seen people we love and there's nowhere to really go and the summer's coming and it's just so intense and um, I just feel like I'm trying to make a million decisions about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to make the best of this time and anyway I just want to let you know that that's what I was feeling like today so if you feel that way sometimes well I guess all I'm saying is you're definitely not alone it is a lot and uh I don't know that anybody is like, oh my God, quarantine, I am crushing it. I know exactly how to do this and I am more productive than ever and happier than ever. I mean, there's definitely blessings to it, you know, in some ways for sure, but it's also really hard, especially when you have little kids and they're in the house and they have, you know, they want to get outside and they want to go do stuff and there's very limited uh, activities that you can do, but we're making the best of it. We are doing water balloons in the backyard and sitting in the hammock and doing our own little pedicures and manicures. And anyway, thanks for listening. I hope that you guys are really feeling okay and that you're safe and that you're healthy. And let's pray that this doesn't go on forever and that we can all get out of this and see each other and come together soon. Cause I really love being around people. That's like my favorite thing in the world. Speaking of people, today we have an awesome human being on the episode. Her name is Gabby Dalkin. She is a trained chef, a recipe developer, an entrepreneur, a cookbook author, and a food and lifestyle writer blogger. She's so adorable. You're going to love her. She's the creator of the super popular blog, What's Gabby Cooking? And you can get more of her delicious recipes from her cookbooks, Absolutely Avocados, Everyday California Food, and her latest one is called Eat What You Want, 125 Recipes to Real Life. If you guys are in that place where you've had it with rules and restrictions, and you just want to have yummy food that gives you permission to just eat what you want and feel good, then go grab yourself a copy of her book. She has a product line with William Sonoma. So if you've been like me trying to hone your cooking skills during quarantine, you can try some of her yummy salsas, seasonings, cheese boards, cocktail mixers, so much more stuff she has on the William Sonoma website. She's really down to earth. She's dedicated to serving her audience, and it's really pretty cool to see what she's built. I'll let her tell you the whole story. Without further ado, please welcome the awesome Gabby Dalkin. Hey, Gabby. I'm so happy that you're here right now. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. There's so much that you're doing in the world, and you have such an awesome, engaged, cool audience, and you're making such cool things. I want people to know, though, how this all started and what the sort of like arc of the story was from the beginning. Yeah, sure. So I went to college after I graduated high school and I was pre-med for the first couple of years. Wow. I got into the second year and I was like, I'm going to take a hard left turn. This is not for me. <laughs> I switched my focus to business. And after graduating college, I moved down to Los Angeles from San Francisco and I got a job like in the business world doing something that was like fashion adjacent because I thought that's what I wanted to do, which if anybody knows me now is absolutely hysterical because like I just want to wear sweatpants all day. Yep. And six months into my job, the whole company folded. This was back in 2008 when we had a little bit of a recession and I lost my job. 
So instead of trying to find another job in not the best environment, I decided I was going to go to culinary school just for fun. Like I had no intention of staying in the food world at all for a career. I didn't even know what I would want to do, but I liked cooking for people. I cooked in college and I made like chicken parmesan for my tennis team and the men's tennis team before matches and stuff like that. And I got to culinary school and my teacher was like, you're a picky eater. And I was like, yeah, I like pasta and grilled cheese. And she's like, if you don't learn how to eat mushrooms and like steak, you're never going to make it in the food world. And I was like, oh, personal challenge accepted. Okay. And dun, dun, dun. <laughs> famous last words. <laughs> and I just like went for it. And I got a job as a private chef my second week of culinary school, which I had no business doing, but fake it till you make it. And I started my blog that same week. So it was a very busy time for me as a human. And the blog slowly, slowly, slowly picked up steam over the course of four or five years. And finally, it was making an income equal to my private chef income. So I was able to walk away from private chefing. I love that this person had the gumption to just be like all in committed. Like you will never. She was intimidating. Like you didn't say no to our Cecilia. <laughs> like not happening. <laughs> so you start your private chef business, you start your blog and then what happens? Yeah. So I cooked for two different families for the whole time and did the blog and we were in New York just for fun, not with my clients or anything. I was there with two of my best friends, Matt and Adam, who are now my photographer and food stylist for all things What's Gotta Be Cooking. And we had this big dinner where we invited all these different food bloggers and people in the food industry, friends from Food Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was sitting next to an editor and I was like, so what's next? Like, what are you looking for? And he was like, well, I'm trying to figure out who the next pioneer woman's going to be or who the next smitten kitchen's going to be. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Good luck. And he was like, well, what, what about you? What would you write about if you wrote a cookbook? And I was like, avocados, duh. Like this was back in like 2010. I was the girl on Twitter known as the girl obsessed with avocados. Like I, I'm in California. I grew up in Arizona. Like I love guacamole and I pitched it as a joke. And lo and behold, three weeks later, they bought it. And that was my first cookbook, Absolutely Avocados, that came out back in 2013. And so from that first book, I learned so many different things. And I then continued to create What's Gotta Be Cooking. And I stepped away from private chefing entirely. And I've written two books since. And I've, I've switched publishers and all that jazz. But it's been a journey. I love the specificity of the avocados. <laughs> I knew that you did that, Absolutely Avocados. Tell us why it makes sense to be specific like that. Well, I think for that book and for many other facets of my life, you have to know exactly what you want because no one's just going to give you a little golden package and be like, hey, look, here's an incredible career. Good luck. You have to manifest that. So for me, that started with saying I wanted to write a cookbook about avocados, which in hindsight was bizarre. But it also gave me the balls to ask for things down the road. So when we went out with my second cookbook, which came out two years ago, I knew what I wanted the book to look like and how I wanted to be involved in the creative process and seeing for this third book. So that let me really, you know, like find the right editor and the right publishing house and all these different things to get my series of books to where I wanted it to go. So I think that's super important. Let's talk about building a community. You've done it so well. Thank you. 
I love looking at your feed because it's so interactive and it's beautiful and there's a lot of humans there. And that is what everybody wants. We want to feel like we have that kind of connection and we create that kind of belonging and we have that kind of influence and we want to be able to connect with other people. I think that's why we want to make the multi-seven figures. We're hoping that that's what it leads to, I think. So you've done that so well. What would you say are some of the things that you do that are pretty granular that you think pay off that people like? And what would be some of the bigger things that you say, oh, I think over time, this also helped create my community? Yeah, well, I think a couple things that I started doing very early on in What's Gotta Be Cooking is I respond to every DM, every Twitter DM, every email myself. I don't have an assistant that does any of that for me because I think when people ask a question, they want the answer from me. You know, like I know a lot of other people who just have an assistant being like, XOXO, that's cute, or like, thanks. And I'm like, that's not genuine. Like, there's nothing authentic about that connection. And yes, they might have a lot of followers, but like, there's just not that same camaraderie, I guess. Um, So I think that helped me very early on establish trust within my community. And then like on a larger scale, I'm very active about polling my audience and seeing what they want and what are they looking for and how I can be of service to them because they're ultimately why I do what I do. Like I create these recipes and I do these Insta lives because of them. Like I love connecting with them and seeing my recipes in their homes and my products on their table or whatever it is. So always keeping them front of mind is super important to me. I love both of those things. I think that that's so refreshing and noble that you answer those DMs. I have a follow-up question about that. And then I love that you said, I'm always asking them what they want because so often people are saying to me, I don't know how to build my business. It's like, did you ask the people you serve what they want? Because they'll tell you, right? I want to, so I have a follow-up question about that too. But let's go to the first thing you said, which is responding to people in DMs. So let's say somebody just writes to you and says, Gabby, I love this thing that you posted. And it feels like all that's required is a thanks. Mm-hmm. what might you say instead to create a deeper relationship with that person? I would probably say something like, thank you so much. I can't wait to hear how your family loves it or how you use it next time and like kind of start a conversation. I have thousands of conversations going on any given day. And I'm sure my husband thinks I'm crazy because I spent, I mean, my phone usage time is disgusting, but like, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> But I think having those connections with people and then being available for them. So if someone said something else to me and they're like, hey, I'm in the kitchen. I only have a nine by 13. Your recipe calls for a nine by nine. What do I do? Being able to respond to that within an hour or two is so big for people because they're waiting for you and they're waiting to feed their family with you. That's awesome. And then let's talk about the polling that you mentioned. So how often would you say you put up a poll? Once a week, once a month, once a quarter? How often? Oh yeah. Like almost every other day, like about what people wanted me to make on Insta Live. Was it a quick and easy weeknight dinner? And last night it was like, we just want quick and easy dinners. We're homeschooling our kids. We're working from home. Like how do we get dinner on the table in 20 minutes? Every other day. I mean, to me, this makes so much sense. Looking at your audience and the way that they interact with you and the engagement being so high, you're asking them what they need constantly. Mm -hmm. And they are there knowing that you're there for them. So beautiful. Tell me a little bit about how the Williams-Sonoma thing came around. Yeah. So I cold called them. I mean, I had known a couple of people at the company and I knew that part of the What's Gotta Be Cooking progression was to have products. I wanted people to have more than just a recipe of mine in their kitchen. I wanted them to have a jar with my name on it with salsa or sauce or oil or seasonings or whatever it was. And I 
pitch them and it took them a couple months to get back to me and finally they were like do you want to come up to San Francisco and like cook for a bunch of people executives in the office and I was like I'll be there tomorrow and they're like okay it doesn't work like that like <laughs> we'll see you in three weeks when we can get everyone's calendars cleared but come up and cook for us so I did I went up there and I cooked everyone this huge lunch and I told them a little bit about me and my brand and my audience and what I was trying to do, which was create a line of multi-purpose products. So whether that's salsas that can be used as braising sauces or marinade or oils that can be used for anything you would use olive oil for. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call back from Neil, one of the people in charge over there. And he was like, let's do it. We're going to start with salsas. And I was like, cool. Like I'm from Arizona. What a great story to tell. And I know now that salsas are not the best performing skew, but I, so I feel like it was a test for me to like see what I could sell. And we outperformed all their other salsas. So from there, we were able to expand into seasonings, cocktail mixes, oils. We have uh, what's got to be cooking cheese board, what's got to be cooking brownies. And then we have a couple new things launching this fall. I love you. I love it. <laughs> I love it all. I love the courage to reach out. I love the, I'll be there tomorrow. And it's like, give us a minute. And then I love that they gave you this challenge. This is the second time that you've mentioned knowing that you were being given a challenge and you're like, I'm up for it. I thrive on that. I thrive when I'm very busy and when people don't think I can do something. Like I remember back in my childhood, if I played a tennis match against like the number one seed and I was maybe number six, I never played better than that day because I was like, I have to prove to everyone that I could be this, I could beat them. So I have a little bit of a competitive edge. <laughs> so I love that. And I want to come back to that, but I'll go back to it in a second. What I also want to ask you is outside of what's already awesome with the cookbooks and the products. Do you have a membership? Do you have cooking classes? Do you have anything else that's a paid for program by your audience? No, I don't. And we actually just launched the What's Gotta Be Cooking Culinary School. And it's going to be completely free because my, my end goal is for people to be fearless in the kitchen. And I know, like I got a DM literally right before we came on this podcast and someone was like, I just pre-ordered your cookbook. I'm literally broke but I wanted to support you. And I was like, no, no, cancel the order. Like keep that money for yourself. You can get all like the book's incredible and I want everybody to buy it. But if you don't have the financial means to do it, I still want you to learn how to cook. So that's why I think this culinary school program online is going to be huge for people who can't afford to A, go to culinary school. B, we can't leave the house right now. And C, like I just want people to know how to cut an onion and break down a bell pepper and feel like a boss when they're doing it. That's awesome. So in the midst of all of this, then given the fact that Williams-Sonoma, some of their, I mean, a lot, most of their stores closed just in terms of like, for now, the brick and mortar mm -hmm. online is still a thing, but how are you pivoting your business to having offers that are going to keep you sustaining in this and, and leveraging your incredible enthusiasm in your audience right now? Yeah. So traffic is up like 300% on my site. So right now we're just focusing mostly on creating incredible content because that means people are going to continue to come back to my site and purchase my cookbooks and my products on Williams-Sonoma that they don't have to go to the store to get. They can have everything shipped to them. So in my mind, if we just continue to create incredible content on a daily basis, everyone's still going to support in whatever way that they can. That makes sense. And you have another cookbook, What's Gabby Cooking? Eat What You Want, 125 Recipes for Real Life. And I love that. And how perfect that that's what was 
you know, on your mind in the midst of what you didn't know was about to happen. Yeah. I mean, when I came up with that title, it was mostly because I was seeing all these people that are like keto for no apparent reason. And then they switched to being vegan 12 days later. And I'm like, your body is freaking out. And like, unless you have a real problem with gluten, like you don't need to give up gluten. Like, like there's just so much noise in this quote unquote wellness industry online. I think it's, it's really a lot for people. And I, I get a lot of messages from people who are recovering from eating disorders and they Mm -hmm. say, thank you for eating it all and making me not feel bad about it because there's so many people influencers quote unquote that are like you can't have cheese and you can't have bread and you can only have green vegetables between 2 and 4 p.m and then you must go to bed and i'm like oh my god this is not healthy and and they're all these young girls and boys who are following these people and they're not setting them up for success so eat what you want came about because i just wanted people to celebrate good food and live their lives and enjoy what makes them happy so that was how it started. And now I'm like, my body is 95% grilled cheese during quarantine. So I'm like, I really, really am living, eat what you want. <laughs> I, I love how there's such a through line in like, you're not afraid to be messy or break the rules or, or, or just, you're not pretentious. Like, it's like, let's just be real. This is what people are eating. This is what people are actually doing. And let me help them do what they do rather than like set this standard and make people feel bad yeah, <laughs> or confused yeah. or like it's so extreme, you know? Yeah. And food guilt is so bad. Like, it, like I should Food guilt. Oh my God. Hashtag like, food guilt. Like if I want a grilled cheese or a brownie, cool. I am going to eat it and I'm going to feel super good about it because tomorrow I'm going to wake up and go to the gym or have a smoothie or something. It's all about balance. It always has been about for me. But I think when you have that mental, yeah. like- there's like a mental thing about food guilt that's not good for your entire body, let alone your mental health. Yeah. When James Clear was on my podcast, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits and it's all about what what are the habits of people who crush their goals. And he said, we forget that when you make a choice, like let's say you're trying to diet and you make a choice for the cookies, you think, forget it now. I can't believe I did it. It's all over. And because of that, you usually it all falls apart. But he said, every time you do something, it's just a vote. And we all know the way that elections work. It's like, you just need the majority of the votes, right? It doesn't have to be every vote. It's the majority. So therefore, you should leave the room for yourself to do those things and then say, but later I'll make three votes for vegetables. And tomorrow I'll make a vote for rosé. But then later I'll make four more votes, right? And it just makes sense that that's what actually would get a person to their goal rather than like, it's all or it's nothing. And I know for some people listening, like, no, you don't understand. It's got to be all or nothing. And you have to know yourself and know certain things and certain habits that like you have to cut out completely. I get it. But I think for a lot of us, there is a tremendous amount of shame and guilt. And when we're carrying that, nothing good happens. Yeah. Now let's go back to that courage piece that we were talking about a second ago. I feel like most of the time when people tell me they have a business problem or a marketing problem, it's a courage problem. It's a, what I'm really telling you, if you listen carefully is I'm afraid of being rejected and I'm afraid or people will not like me or people will say, who does she think she is that she's cooking right now or whatever it is. So when you are presented with something where, where there's all these reasons why it's not going to work. How do you find the courage to have find the reasons while it will? Um, that's a great question. And I think it's just because 
no one's going to do it for me. I have to figure out a way to make it work. And I actually had this conversation with one of my friends. We were on a flight to Ethiopia to go do some charity work a couple years ago. And he was like, how do you get the courage you have? And I was like, I don't know. Let me call my mom. <laughs> I called my mom once we landed. And she was like, I think it's mostly because when you were a kid, and you got in a fight with someone or something happened at school that you needed to fix, we like advised you, but you had to do it yourself. Like you had to be the one to call Emily and apologize for whatever happened or to talk out your friendship. But I was forced to do a lot of things on my own as a kid with the guidance of my parents. And so I think that gave me the courage to ask for things and do things now. For example, I'm 33 years old. I'm perfectly capable of buying my own flights home for Thanksgiving, but like I'll ask if my parents want to pay for my flights just because if I don't, they never have the opportunity to say yes. And if they say no, I'll buy my flights. But like, I just don't think there's any harm in asking for what you want and then going and getting it. I really like that. When I was a kid, my mom did that stuff too. Like if I missed the orthodontist appointment, she would say, you call Marsha at the office and tell her that you missed it and you set up a new appointment. I'd be like, mom. And she's like, you call her. And I remember yeah. being like 11. I mean, like I missed my appointment because I was playing a video game and she'd be like, all right. And it, just learning that you can do hard things from a young age. Okay. So that's really cool. I think that people would want to know, you know, you've had so much guts to just like, get up in front of people and be like, here's me in the kitchen. Here's me sharing things. Here's me having an expertise around something. And people are like, oh my God, I would never feel like I know enough or I would never feel ready to take on a job as a personal chef unless I've had Dory had a job, which means there's a chicken and an egg, which means I can't get the job. So do you ever feel that imposter syndrome? Do you ever feel like, well, who am I to do this? Like, how do you get through those feelings? Yeah. And I like, listen, when I started doing on-camera work, it was atrocious. Like it was not fun to watch. <laughs> But I think doing it and, and then watching yourself back or listening to yourself back or reading yourself back is what teaches you how to do it better next time. So I think, yeah, I mean, I the first time I went on national TV, I was like, I have no business being on national TV. And I like blacked out a little bit. But oh then, my God, that's so scary. <laughs> then, but then I like came to 30 seconds in and I was like, wait, this is exactly what I should be doing right now because no one can tell my story except for me. So like, yes, I might not be the most experienced chef in the entire world, but like I can tell people how I'm going to cook this and I know that it's going to be delicious when they make it too, because I know I'm not lying. Like I'm being authentic to myself. So I think those two things coupled together, like watching yourself back or reading or whatever it is that you're trying to do and learning from your past opportunities is really important. And then, you know, realizing that you have a story to tell and only you can do that. And so whatever it is you want to create out of that, you can. Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> a lot of people want to create content or get in front of a camera or do stuff on Instagram and they work hard at it, but it doesn't necessarily go viral in the way that yours has. It doesn't necessarily catch fire. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about content? What have you learned about the things that perform well? What have you learned about content that actually works and, and, and goes the distance? Yeah. So I think for us in terms of content, 
a lot of it comes back to the fact that it's really beautiful and it tastes good. So like all of the recipes that we create have been tested like five or six times before they go up. So people know that they're going to work and they trust that. And then as what's got to be cooking continued to get bigger. And I actually, I remember someone asked me there once they were like, so what's your overhead like? And I was like, what do you mean? Like I pay for my rent and I work from home and they're like, no, like, do you have any contractors or anything like that? And I was like, no. And I was in that conversation that I realized that I'm allowed to invest money back into my business. So that's when I hired Matt and Adam, my two best friends who actually live down in Long Beach and Matt's a photographer, Adam is a food stylist. And they started creating all the visuals for What's Got Be Cooking, which left me more time to focus on recipe development, being on the camera, talking to brands, being a spokesperson, blah, blah, blah. And they do what they're so good. I mean, they shoot for Food Network and Chipotle and Coffee Bean and TV. Yeah, all the things. They're very, they're very fancy. <laughs> but I was able to work with them. And they actually really helped me create what the What's Got Be Cooking visual voice was. But there were many years where I could not afford to bring anybody on. So I think it's just having that instinct to, okay, I'm making enough money to pay myself my salary and, and I can invest back into my business long term. So I know it's going to pay off even more. And for people who are just starting, if they're like, I'd like to put up a video, but I don't know how anyone's going to watch it. What would be your advice for people who are just starting to make content right now? I think you should focus on what your story is. So for me, I wanted to tell that California girl story of like being the girl next door. So every idea I had, I was like, does that relate back to my main goal? And a lot of them did not. And so I ended up not producing that content, but then some of them did. And as I saw those picking up traction, I continued to post more in that vein. And in terms of video, I would say like film a couple of yourself that you don't put up, like just just film yourself talking to camera and then you watch it back and you're like, would I watch this? Or like send it to your family or your friends and ask them for their feedback because they're consuming creators that way anyway. So they'll be able to give you feedback and then do five, six, seven, eight, whatever. And then put up that eighth one and see what happens and throw up the hashtags and tag all your friends in it and ask them to share it and like use your natural community to help boost it. And then it's going to like slowly domino effect from there. That makes sense. I like that. And also in terms of the cooking itself, I think that people feel like afraid because they've never been a cook. And in this time, especially a lot of people are being forced to figure it out. And mm -hmm. I think you have to have courage there too. Cause it's like, Oh, I wouldn't even try to make a cake. There's no way it would work. I wouldn't even try to make a steak. There's no way it would work. What's your advice around that for people who want to start to do the cooking right now for their family and they're feeling intimidated by it? Yeah. So I think that is the best kind of content to create right now. You're like, Hey, I am so-and-so. I have three kids at home. I do yeah. not know how to do anything besides boil pasta. And I'm going to figure out how to cook for my family. I would watch that. I would absolutely watch that because that is entertaining content to me. And we can all laugh our way together through it as a community and help each other. So I think if, you know, maybe you just got furloughed, you have more time on your hands. I think go for it. Like now's the time, or maybe you put together resources for your community on where to get local CSA deliveries in whatever town you live on and put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram and be that resource for people. So they know that they can keep coming back to you because you're doing the work for them. Mm, I love that. I love the permission to just like do it messy and bring people along for the ride. Yeah. In this time, especially since it goes so well with your book, 
Can you walk us through one or two really quick, easy things that we can make right now in the middle of quarantine when we're feeling overwhelmed and stressed and we want to eat something good? Yes. Well, there's a whole section in the book dedicated to carbs because let's be realistic. I love it. Carbs are a very important part of the meal. And then there's another chapter in the book called So Easy Even Thomas Can Do It. Thomas is my husband and the guy can't cook. <laughs> so I would say start on one of those two chapters. There's a like a chicken schnitzel recipe in the book, which is literally just a fancy chicken nugget that's coated in panko and pan fried on both sides, which is so easy. Who doesn't like chicken nuggets, especially ones the size of your face? So I would say that's probably a really good place to start. There's also some quesadillas in the book or some stuffed peppers that are super easy. You know, and then there's stuff in the book that's not so easy, like my dad's homemade garlic bread. But so many people are trying to work with yeast these days. I'm like, go for it. Like more power to you. Try it. Yum. I know. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> that sounds so good. And what's your favorite thing to eat? My favorite thing to eat is pizza. I am a carb girl through and through, and I love a good pizza. There's actually a pizza in the new cookbook. It's a modern day margarita pizza. And instead of just like slicing tomatoes and putting it on a pizza, which is like watery and sad, I make this tomato, <laughs> I make this tomato confit, which is just like a handful of cherry tomatoes cooked down in olive oil for 45 minutes. And then put that on the pizza with tons of cheese and then drizzle it with one of these basil dressings I make. And it is so next level good. I cannot wait till my CSA starts sending me home with basil so I can make it again. <laughs> Do you follow Jenna Fisher on Instagram? No. Do you know Jenna from The Office? She plays. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, over the last year and a half, she's been like learning how to make bread and then she's always doing it. And now she's really good at it. And she was like, oh, I didn't flip it. Oh, the beast. Oh, the dough. Oh, God. But it was just like awesome watching her, like all those stories. I love watching people cook. I think it's one of the most fun, relaxing. Ugh. So yeah. Good. And it's just like hanging out with a friend, right? When you're watching someone on Insta Live or something or on IG stories, because you're, you can feel like you're in their kitchen and you see what they're doing. It's so cool. I love, I love watching it as well. What do you think for people who are listening, if they had to choose like a medium, what's more important, Instagram Live or creating videos that go into your feed or creating videos for YouTube? Like what have you seen for you makes the most difference? Well, for us, our biggest audience is on the website and on Instagram. So I also think I love being live. So that's why live is really successful for us. But if I wasn't comfortable being live and I prefer to do more edited, like post-production videos, I think you'd use those on your stories and then you put them on your website. You could put them on YouTube. Like the beauty behind video is they can live so many different places. And I mean, my demographic is very different from YouTube to Instagram. So I know I'm not like inundating the same person with videos from both platforms. So I would say to start with an edited video because I feel like that's more forgiving, put it everywhere and then work up to going live because being live is a whole other art form, trying to like read people's comments and cook and remember what you were trying to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in terms of this content, when you want to let people know it's there, do you have a newsletter and what's the opt-in to get people in the newsletter? Yeah. So we have a newsletter sign up on whatscottbecooking.com. And that is basically just every new recipe whenever it comes out, or if there's an announcement or a video or something like that, we produce even more content that doesn't go out in that newsletter. Because if we promoted every piece of content we did, 
people would kill me. Like it would be too much. So I also cross promote all my content and more content on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and stories and stuff like that. So I feel like if you're in the newsletter and you're on Instagram, you're going to get the full 360 of my personal brand. And I think a lot of other people do it that same way. So cool. I, I love like hearing all of this stuff. It's so fun talking about food. It is the great like equalizer, you know? Yeah, it's just, everyone's got to eat. <laughs> everyone's got to eat. And I just think that you're so relatable. The last question I was going to ask you in terms of being relatable, do you talk about other things besides food with your audience? Yes. Um, I did it for a really long time. I mean, I talked about food and travel and my marriage. Like Thomas is now full-time at What's Gotta Be Cooking. He's my husband. So people have been getting to know him over the last couple of years, but I never shared anything uber personal until like nine months ago. We've had a couple of miscarriages, five to be exact. And I shared it on Instagram. And I remember I, it took me two weeks to write my caption and my mom approved it. My husband approved it. And I showed my doctor, like, I was like, and at this point I had told everyone in our lives, like, and I was very okay with it because I don't know why I'm okay. Uh, like, like I come from a family of doctors and I just know stuff like this happens. But anyways, I posted it. I walked away from my phone. I called one of my good friends. I was like, I can't look at it. And it outperformed everything I've ever posted in my entire life. And so I, that to me was a sign that people are here for the full deal. Like they're not here for just pretty food pictures. Like I think when you're building a lasting brand, you have to have other things going on. That was amazing that you had the courage to share it now and the courage to share it then. And what do you feel happened with your business, with your community, with your life when you started to open that dam to, to the rest of your feelings? I became a resource for people for things other than food. So there have been hundreds of people that have messaged me with similar stories. When I posted that, I had over 6,000 DMs within an hour and then more for days on end. It took me a very long time to clear out my inbox, but I became a real person, I think. It wasn't always pretty. I wasn't always like, things might look really beautiful on Instagram all the time, but there's also real people behind there who may or may not share what's happening in their real lives. Yeah. And how do you feel about doing it? Do you like that you opened that door? Are you mixed feelings about it? Oh no, I'm thrilled. Hey, I did it because I wanted everyone to stop asking me when we were going to have kids because it was the number one question I would get whenever. Which is we a painful back. question in the midst of all that. Right. And I, and I, it was, it was, it was painful for us for the beginning, but then I was like, I just wish people would know better. So I'm like, I get to educate everyone on that. That's super cool. Like if, if this is why this is happening to me, that I get to help people not ask that question to other people in their lives and spare them that pain. That's so cool that I get to do that. So I'm thrilled. I think it was an incredible decision that I'm glad we made. And do you feel like it actually grew your following and your audience to open the door to be a resource to, to other things besides cooking or was it kind of the same? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, and I think people have picked it up and like I got picked up on all these different health publications and magazines and it gave me a different stream to talk about. Like I wasn't just talking about food the whole time. I was talking about, you know, a little bit of mental health and how we're dealing with this and my relationship with my husband and how he's super supportive. So I think it's been cool for people to see that full 360. I love that. Thank and can you. I ask one question about that husband of yours? Yeah. What's it like working with your husband and what did he wind up doing for the so, business? So he came on full-time 
10 months ago and the first month was rough. <laughs> it was real rough. I love how she says it. <laughs> you can like, like hear it. The thing is we had to learn that we needed separate working spaces. So like we have two different areas in the house and we don't really see each other throughout the day. Like maybe we'll see each other in the kitchen for lunch or something, but otherwise we're in our own worlds. And you good? Does, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Me too. See ya. <laughs> don't bother me right now. I'm working. But he does all really the tech side of what's got to be cooking. So he's in charge of like building that whole culinary school program we talked about. He does all the filming. He does all the editing. He came from the advertising world. He was a producer. So like he basically produces got this everything now. It's incredible. So I'll keep him. <laughs> One more question on that. Cause there's a lot of females who listen to the show and mm -hmm. a lot of us are in the position of like, especially now people are having to pivot. It's going to be interesting to see what's, what's on the other side of this. Some, for some people, the woman is already the breadwinner. For some people, she's going to become the breadwinner just depending on who winds up getting, you know, super resourceful right now and figuring it out. Yeah. Um, how does that work in your marriage? Did he at first feel emasculated by that? Was it hard for you? Was it hard for him? Was it super easy? What was he, it like? He, I mean, for a really long time, I was like, you should come on full time with What's Got Be Cooking. And he was like, no, I don't want to mix business in our relationship. No, 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 no. And then finally, I think it got to a point where he was like, yeah, I could do a lot for you. Like I could really help you grow this business. There's no one I trust more or who knows my business better than him. And I, I don't think it's emasculating or anything at all that I'm the breadwinner per se. I think he sees what I've built and what we've really built together because he's been with, there with me the whole time. And he's like totally down to help. He's super chill about it. And it really worked for us. I feel very fortunate that he doesn't have any like hangups about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you, you shared that. And I think it's cool when people come together and it's like, well, this is what we've built. Let's, let's put all hands on deck. Yeah. I think that it's awesome. Thomas started an Instagram account making fun of me like two years ago called oh my God, Thomas I'm Eating. <laughs> and it was really just a place to make fun of me, which is hysterical. Like people love it, but he got his first brand deal with like a huge credit card company last year. And I was like, I've created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> that is hysterical because my husband who basically named my podcast don't keep mm -hmm. your day job that was his title he always says i'm gonna start as a joke he always goes i'm gonna start another podcast called oh crap i made a mistake how to get your day job back <laughs> <laughs> we're so different and i'm like hmm maybe you should start that you know other account the other side of it that's so full support i think that i mean i think you also have to be able to laugh about stuff like about everything like Thomas and I, we have very different roles within the company. And then we also know when to turn it off and just actually be a married couple and not like obsess over some piece of whatever. So I think you got to have the balance. That's really awesome. What's in the future for you? What are you dreaming of? Oh man. Well, I want this cookbook to be super successful. So that's in the very near future. And then who knows? I mean, I feel like working in the digital world, sky's kind of the limit. Like we could do a show, we could do more books. We'll continue to grow the product line. Everything's fair game because I feel like there is no one who's done this 20 years ago, like being in digital media didn't exist. And so we're kind of forging the path. So true. How has it been for you being in quarantine? Is there one thing that it's really hard? Is there one thing you miss? It sounds in general like you're showing people a possibility that there's actually a lot of beautiful things right now for you. Trying. Um, I really miss going to the gym. 
I really loved going to the gym and seeing all my friends there and having that like hour, hour and a half of like social interaction outside of my house. I miss hugs. And I also miss people smiling. Like I went to pick up my CSA this morning. It's a humanless pickup. They just let you pop the trunk. They put it in your trunk. But everyone is now wearing masks. And so you couldn't see people smiling. And it was so weird to me. I was like, I just want to see your teeth and I want to see your eyes smiling. And I mean, it's good. we're going to be here a while, but I can't wait till it's all over and everybody can be together again. That's beautiful. And you said it once before, and I, I'm just curious, I guess I should know what it is, but I don't. What's a CSA? Uh, community supported agriculture. So it's basically finding a farmer. I don't even get to pick what I get. I just get a box of whatever's in season that they picked that morning. And it's been incredible because I'm cooking with things I never would have bought at the farmer's market. How do people get to be a part of something like that? Yeah, there, there are so many. So if you're in Los Angeles, the one we've been doing, one of my girlfriends owns this incredible coffee shop off of La Brea called Neighborhood. So they teamed up with County Line Harvest. You just log onto their website, you order the box, you click where you want to pick it up, and then you have a humanless pickup. There are countless other farmers who are also doing things because if people aren't going to the farmer's markets, they're not being able... That's amazing. I'm so glad I asked. I felt like silly, but it, no. it led to such a cool piece that I think is really neat. I actually think a lot of these farmers are making more money than they make at the farmer's market because so many people are like, oh my God, I don't have access to vegetables anymore. So you it's- could just Google a CSA near you, right? 100%. Yeah. And like support them. And a lot of the, the and most of these farmers are doing, taking incredible precautions. They're picking in masks, they're picking in gloves. They're not touching their face in the vegetables or anything like that. So, I mean, they don't want anyone to get sick either. Well, you so. would be buying it from the grocery store anyway. You may as well buy a healthier version of it. Right? Yeah. Le- less people touch it this way. Anyways. Less people touch it. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, this was so good. So <laughs> many good pieces here. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can buy your book. You can order the book on Amazon, William Sonoma, anywhere books are sold. There are a ton of small bookstores that are doing like online orders now so we can support small bookstores. Basically everywhere books, Barnes and Noble, you name it. If the books are sold there, this eat what you want will be there. And I'm What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram or whatsgobbycooking.com. I love it. Thank you for being here. You're awesome. This was such a pick me up in the middle of all this crazy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was so fun. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, when someone doubts you, rise to the challenge. Number two, pull your audience, ask them what they want, ask how you can be of service to them, always keep them front of mind. Number three, celebrate and live the life you want, enjoy what makes you happy. Number four, no one is going to manifest this dream for you, it's up to you to do it. Number five, you have a story to tell and no one can tell your story except for you. Number six, be real with your audience. People are here for the full deal. And number seven, everything is fair game. We are forging the path. All right, now let's celebrate your wins. Tina posted in our Facebook group and she said, after Kathy's five-day challenge, I was so inspired. I posted two videos on Facebook. I hate seeing myself on camera and I tend to be very judgmental of myself. So I just hit record and posted without edits and it actually felt great. Tina, that's awesome. I'm really proud of you. First of all, you let go of that self-judgment, which is a huge thing. And you had the courage to press record and let yourself be messy and just go ahead and post it. I love that you ended up feeling pretty good about it because you are capable of doing that and freeing yourself of that perfectionism. And you'd be surprised how many people will love the fact that you're just you. Keep putting yourself out there. Keep showing up. I know it's just the beginning. 
And the second win is from Kelly. She said, I did a workshop called, is it time to pivot for a virtual retreat and have been getting amazing feedback. So I decided to expand it into a three-day intensive. I'm recording a testimonial and will launch ads to the public this week. I'm so excited to help people make intentional shifts in their lives over the next month. Kelly, that's so awesome. I love how you validated the idea first and now you're implementing all that positive feedback and taking it to the next level by building the premium version. I know you're gonna help so many people because right now we all do need to look at where we can pivot and how to make that happen. I'd love to know how the three-day intensive goes, so definitely keep us posted. You guys, I can't thank you enough for listening to this show. I am well aware that there's a zillion things you could be doing, so thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. It means the world to me. Your support is honestly like the greatest gift of a lifetime. And if you like the show, um, share it with a friend. And we're doing this big giveaway now, the STAR giveaway. It stands for uh, subscribe, tag, and review. So if you do those things, if you subscribe to the show, which is free, if you post about it on Instagram and just tag a friend and say, hey, I think you'd like this podcast. And then if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, just send a screenshot of your review to hello at Don't Keep Your Day Job and use the subject line STAR. And we'll be picking two of you every month. And we've been giving away some adorable swag. We have these really cute hoodies and t-shirts and mugs that say things like heart of a hero and let your color shine. They're adorable. And we also are giving away access to some of my courses. So you can get that if you just go ahead and subscribe, tag a friend, let them know about the show, review it. All this costs no money and probably takes about three minutes. I love you guys very much. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Have an amazing weekend. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you Monday. Maybe I lost some battles and my cage got around.